Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. Here we are with episode number 47 of the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my friend and co-host, Mike Perry. Mike, welcome to episode 47. We, uh, we've got a good one today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, you know, anytime we can talk about youth training, I'm excited because that's uh, one of my passions, working with young kids. So really excited to have Steve on today. And uh, I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going to let you start with this bio and, and give a little background on uh, who we're talking to today. Yeah, sure. Steve and I met, uh, actually, we were on a panel talking about youth sports on a, on a TV show uh, about a year or so and just loved, loved his approach and wanted to definitely uh, add him to the list of guests when we put it together. So give you a little backdrop is he's currently the senior vice president of Steel Sports Coaching Systems, which is the they take on the responsibility of providing uh, their coaches with a continuing education pathway while overseeing the unique professional development program. Uh, he visits Steel Sports groups across the U.S. and delivers coaching clinics and parent engagement events to Steel's baseball, softball, and soccer coaches and families. Uh, he grew up in England. He's got the most awesome accent you'll you'll hear. So that definitely that's ratings gold right there, Perry. Uh, grew up in England playing soccer and played semi-professionally in England and Scotland for years. He obtained a bachelor's degree in, in PE from Liverpool University. And after teaching coaching for five years, came here to the U.S. to play and coach in 1989. And he spent over 20 years in the U.K. elite soccer director prof uh, of professional development. In addition to 30 years of coaching soccer players and coaches, from the rec to the elite levels, he has 20 years of experience working with Special Olympics in New Jersey in powerlifting and track and field. Uh, he's licensed through a bunch of different things from the England Football Association, United Soccer Coaches, you name it, um, as well as USA Baseball Coach. But he has presented a, to a variety of organizations at a regional and national conferences and the importance of building character and leadership in young people through sports. And I'm very excited to talk to him today. Welcome to the show, Steve. Eric, thank you very much. I was uh, particularly pleased when you reached out to me because I was uh, very impressed when we had our time together on the panel that you mentioned earlier. And there's obviously a lot of synergy between your beliefs, your practices, and what you really believe we can achieve with sports and, and ours at Steel Sports. So thank you very much for hosting today. And Mike, thank you very much for having me on the show. Absolutely. So no, I'm going to let Mike dig in because Mike's, Mike's in your crosshairs here. I'm I have my boys they are actually my oldest is just about to graduate college. And so uh, I've been through the mill. I kind of it's kind of like that line in Shawshank Redemption where he's climbed, you know, crawled through a mile of shit and came out clean on the other side. Um, I've been through the I've been through the youth sports mill and seen it from all sides. Um, but Mike's right square in the crosshairs with his boys. So I'll let him kick off. Uh, I think 
I think I may have just entered the the shit tunnel, like maybe <laughs> potentially yesterday. So, um, but anyway, so, you know, Steve, so we're talking about youth sports and, and it can be one of the greatest or worst influences on a, on a child's development. And before we talk about how broken it is, because we know it's broken, let's talk about sort of the positives of youth training. What should kids be getting out of a great youth sports experience? Joy. They should be getting joy, success, failure, resilience, all of those things. They should not only embrace them, they should take them beyond the sports field. And that's what should, and, and I'll be honest, does happen with a lot of kids. Um, and very often it will come down to the conduit for those things, which is the coach. But that is what kids should be walking away with, a joy, a passion, a lifelong involvement in something that's going to pay them back in spades in so many different ways. All right. So being a dad myself, I've been there as the dad, as the coach, and, and tried my best to, to not screw it up. And, and some days I was better at that than others. But uh, one of the things I always try to avoid is, you know, to be one of those dads, you know, back in my day, um, you know, because it doesn't it doesn't work for the frame of reference for what this uh, generation of youth athletes are going through. And tell us a little bit about why. Yeah, so I'll start off by saying something controversial. Old style coaching still works. Kids still want certain elements of what coaches used to demand of me as a kid, which was, hey, go run through that brick wall, right? But if you were to use a statement, anything like that today, a kid's going to look you in the eye and say, why? What's on the other side? What's the benefit to me and my team of doing this? And to be honest, we have to embrace the fact that we have created this. As parents, we want all of our kids to have an easier life than we had. We therefore afford them a myriad of things that we never had. And they therefore are much more knowledgeable at a younger age as to the reasons why they should and shouldn't do things. So to me, I think people have to accept that yes, kids wanna be challenged. Yes, kids wanna have boundaries. Yes, kids wanna have certain expectations placed upon them. But you cannot do any of those things until you've formed a trust and relationship with a child now that is mutually respectful. And so we partnered with a group called the Search Institute, and they're a group that have been around for about 60 years now. And they literally look into every new challenge young people are facing in America. Their recent and most absolutely eye-opening uh, research showed that 20% of teenagers in America do not have a positive adult role model in their life. 20%. So if you're coaching a team of kids, there's one or two kids in there that don't have somebody that they have a relationship with that is going to give them the trust and respect they need to fulfill their potential on or off the field. We developed a system, the Steel Sports Coaching System, and part of it is based on the getting relationships right model and framework that the Search Institute have come up with. So for you to impart the same kind of knowledge, the same kind of things that they did 20 years ago as a coach, you have to accept kids are different. So you're dealing with a different entity than you were. You must do five things. You must, first of all, express care. Kids don't care what coaches know until they know that they care about them. And if you don't demonstrate that, you're never going to be able to have boundaries. You're never going to be able to push. You're never going to be demanding. You're never going to get the respect and trust of your athlete. So express care. That is a key part of what you must do as an individual. Provide support. So they're going to screw up. They're kids. 
So don't tell them the answer to the problem. Involve them in solving the problem. And I don't care if that's during the game. We tell our coaches, if a kid makes a mistake in the game, don't pull them off the field. Have a conversation with them. What, during the game? Yeah. Take 20 seconds, pull them to the sideline and say, hey, Mike, you had the ball. What happened? Well, I took the shot. I probably could have made the back. Okay, Mike, good job. On you go. Have those conversations in real time, not just at practice, but during games. Challenge their growth. Make sure when they come to a practice or a game, you're going to set them something that they cannot achieve easily. If they're too easily achievable, they're going to get bored. Provide opportunities, right? So give them the opportunities, especially in young teams, to play a variety of positions and learn from those things. And here's the kicker. Here's the one that's the big difference. Modern coaches have to share power with their athletes. What does that mean? When you ask them a question, listen to the answer. Don't expect an answer, listen to the answer. When they have an idea, embrace that idea at practice or a game. We at times will give the halftime team talk during a game or the in-between innings talk to the players. We've got a problem here, guys. Figure it out. And if they can come up with a solution and we give them the power to come up with a solution, they're so much more invested in the solution itself. So I would say that old style coaching can still work, but not without those five pillars of getting relationships right. Making sure players trust you, so you're honest with them, you're consistent with them, you treat them all equally, and then you'll be able to be demanding of them in the ways that my coaches were of me when I was younger. That's great stuff. And, and one of the things I hope people paid attention to is all five of those things had two sides of it, right? There was, there was, there was the side that you're going to provide and then the side that you're going to expect. And sometimes we expect too much without providing on, on our side. And then sometimes uh, there's a lot of expectations, whether it's through the parent or through the kids. And are some of those expectations, you know, from the, uh, whether it's the real or theoretical participation trophy of, uh, why doesn't my son get to be the starting pitcher or shortstop? Why doesn't my son get to to bat third? Why doesn't is some of that driven from we've rewarded for either mediocrity or no effort or just being able to sign up and and, and have your mom or dad write a check? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'll I'll go back to and that's a big problem that we have to address. But I'll go back to even my experience with Special Olympics, right? And, and every kid gets participation ribbon at Special Olympics. And I understand the recognition of every athlete for participating in an activity. But unfortunately, what that has led to throughout all the levels of youth sports, as you just said, is an expectation. Hey, I'm paying. I'm a consumer. I want my kid to play that position. And it might be regardless of the ability of the kid to do so, or consideration of the fact that we would be setting up a kid for a failure if we put them in certain positions because of some of the aspirations, which are incredibly crazy, of parents. So, yeah, we're dealing in a business, and I know we'll get into this later, where it's a pay-to-play. So, you know, parents are paying. They want and they expect certain treatment of their child that is sometimes unrealistic. Sometimes, unfortunately, it leads to participation beyond when the kid would really want to be even involved in that particular sport. And they make them stay in the sport for whatever reason it might be. Um, there are certainly, unfortunately, unrealistic expectations about my kid's going to get the scholarship. My kid's going to be the pro athlete. All three of us know, and the stats are out there, the percentages are minuscule. 
two and a half percent of kids are going to get that high school, uh, get that college scholarship. And of that two and a half percent, I think it's 1.7 now have any chance whatsoever, or it might be even less than that, of making a semi-professional or professional career out of it. So the stats are just incredibly, incredibly stacked against what some people see as an investment. And they have expectations based on that investment. You know, when our average families are spending over $800 on their kids' primary sport per year, and that's on average, it's a lot higher in some sports, then what am I getting for my $800? Parents need to re-examine why kids play in sports. And unfortunately, when it comes down to it, they want to have fun, they want to get better, they want to show off. Winning is way down. Expectation from kids to get scholarships is also a projected one from a parent. But we do have to deal with those problems. Um, great example, most recently, one of the greatest soccer players of recent time um, played in the MLS, came over here, um, very successful player, and was, I don't want to want their name him because it's a little embarrassing, but was absolutely astounded that they had to pay $3,500 a year for his kid to play on an elite soccer team. And and what am I getting for that $3,500? And and I, I, I think I knew who you're referring to. Yeah, I'm sure you do, but we're not going to name him. <laughs> um, you know, in his home country, in his home country, he wouldn't be paying that, right? And one of the reasons I'm not naming him was because as a paying parent, he absolutely ripped the coaches of his son's team because he didn't think he was playing in the right position and he was doing this. He would never have done that back where he came from because his kid would have been on a, on a team where he wasn't paying. His kid was just selected to play on that particular team. So we've created a monster. And some of these expectations are part, most definitely part and parcel of a pay-to-play model, which is never going away, by the way. I don't think we're ever getting rid of it, but we have to think of ways to make it more accessible at the same time. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because um, it, it's, I feel like there's almost, there's uh, two different paths kids can take, right? So we have sort of the, when we say old school mentality, it's like play multiple sports, you're going to be okay when you get into high school because those multiple sports are going to carry you in the direction you need to go. And then there's the other thought process. Like, look, it's the, it's the fear of missing out. If your kid doesn't select a sport or have a primary sport at age 11 or 12, uh, they're going to be left behind. And, and one of the things that I've noticed, um, particularly with that is um, with my boys, uh, my oldest son, he started playing club lacrosse a little bit older. Um, some of these kids have been playing for three or four years in club lacrosse. And I'm talking, they started seven years old. And one of the things that I didn't realize early on was one of the main reasons why people get involved in clubs early is because those are going to be the high level teams four five, six years down the road. So when you put your kid in at six or seven, it's not because they're getting elite coaching. It's because you're basically solidifying a spot for them for five, six or seven years down the road. And I didn't realize that until I got into it. And I thought that was really, really uh, an interesting thing, but um, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we work on that? How do we work on that fear of, of missing out? And, and like, there's so many, it seems like a big contest. And unfortunately, if you don't play by the rules of the contest, you are going to be left out. And how do we, how do we change that? Or how do we start to even change that? So there's, there's the local change, there's the regional change, and there's the national change. And one of the major problems you have in this country is your national governing bodies do not do a good job of governing youth sports. They do not do a good job of covering coaching licensing. The fact that you can create a youth sports team in this country with no coaching qualification or education at all, 
and enter a league and play is is just astounding to me. But the fear of missing out thing, Mike, let's go back to that. You know, it made me laugh when I came to America and I heard about people in the town I was living in that said, have you got your kids registered to go to this particular school and I said they're not going to be going to school for like three years oh no you've got to get on the register now if they don't get into this school preschool they won't get into this elementary school they won't get into this high school and then college well forget that and I couldn't believe it and yes I think there is a similar mindset now emerging within youth sports the fact of the matter is whoever listens to this read the following book range how generalists triumph in a specialized world by David Epstein and Mike's smiling because you've read it, I'm sure. The facts are there. <laughs> we, we, the yeah, facts we probably are quote there. that once a week, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're facts. They're not like, oh, we think you should maybe try this or that. No, no. The fact is people that generalize at a younger age will encounter a little bit more failure, but will succeed in expert areas in music, in art, in sports, in business. It is a fact. These parents that are you know, saying that my kid has to be playing one sport by the time they're 11. Last year in the NFL playoffs, right, the divisional playoffs, the eight quarterbacks that started in those games played 25 varsity high school sports between them. Eight athletes, 25 sports. Mahomes went to college and played baseball and football, right? I mean, the facts are there. So what we don't do a good enough job of is explaining to parents Hey, this isn't an opinion. This is a fact. The more sports your kid plays at a young age, when they are ready to make that choice, and you know, for some, it might be 11. For some kid at 10 or 11, they might just say, I've fallen in love with this, Dad. I want to play Ultimate Frisbee for the rest of my life. God bless you, son, you know? But then you have to guard against very real proof again of mental and physical overuse. Injuries and scars. The physical are obvious. If you're playing the same sport throughout a year, which happens unfortunately here, then you're going to get an injury. And it could be a traumatic one. It could end your career. But what is not considered, once you become that specialist sport, 10-year-old, 11-year-old kid, now you're in this elite sport. So now, obviously, you better be an elite athlete. The mental toll on a 10 or 11-year-old, because you're in that level, to try and perform at that level is ridiculous. So there's so many stats out there. It's just incredible. There's there's just no reason to specialize. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give ourselves a little plug here. We're trying to push hard with multi-sport camps for kids. So kids come to our camps. They'll play over the course of a week. They'll play frisbee, touch football, rugby, cricket, wiffle ball, frisbee, volleyball. And the number of kids at the end of a week that are saying to their parents, hey, mom, I never played volleyball. That is a great sport. I think it could be good. And we have to educate the parents because we have the facts to educate them. It's not like we're saying, hey, we think this. No, no, we know this. So we really do have to better uh, do a better job. The cost of a Tiger Woods, four-year-old phenom. What a great career he's had. My goodness, though, has he had some issues in his life? I think he has. And I'm not certainly blaming them on all of the sports. that he, But the, imagine from the young age he had to be the expert, professional, elite athlete he has. It's not it's not the right route for the vast majority of our children. Now, another Absolutely. thing that I, I think and, we uh, should would should really consider, and before you jump into your question, Mike, because I want to go on that theme, because like you talked about getting them in at the right time, is you have to understand the vast difference. And if you could talk about, see, the difference what you can have within a 12-year-old, 
right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talk about baseball and that's the sport that I'm most familiar with. You know, every 12 year old, they want to go and do the, the big summer trip to Cooperstown. And when you can go to Cooperstown and you'll see some players that literally have these baby faces, they look like they should be still playing with, with Hot Wheels cars. And then you have other kids that are literally shaving in the bathroom. And so the difference could be dramatic from a physics, from a physical standpoint. And then when you talk about who started their kids at earlier or later in terms of uh, there's some tough decisions. I know, you know, my younger son was right at the edge where he was with all older kids that were up to a year and a half older, even though they were in the same playing level and grade, which makes for huge challenges. And, and you mentioned, you know, uh, the, the book range, another book that, that talks about it is outliers. And they talked mm-hmm. about um where uh, it was a uh, someone noticed that all of the NHL players all had birthdays between January and March because that's when the cutoff was. So if you're born in January, you could be almost a full year older than that kid who was born December 31st. So you have a full year of maturity. So now you go out at the seven, eight, nine years old, you're going to be more mature. Maybe you're a little bit more coordinated. So you're going to get picked for the better team. Now you get the better team. Now you get the better coach. Now you keep moving up the ranks and you have this distinct advantage over that other kid. That's a year to a year and a half behind you. Kind of talk about that variance you have when you're talking about these ages from nine to 14 of the mm-hmm. huge variability that you have within it. Yeah. And they're not just physical, they're emotional, you know, they're, they're, they're social. There's so many differences, but especially, and, and it is more pronounced on the, on the guy's side, you know, it's not a gender bias here. It's just true. The, the differences that can be uh, experienced high school sport. You think of a freshman boy playing in a varsity team. Um, I was watching all the cross game yesterday, Duke V uh, I think it was Delaware. I can't remember, but there was a freshman who scored 12 goals and you're looking at him and the size of him and he's took his helmet off. He's standing beside his teammates. I thought it was a father and son. It's just incredible. Um, interestingly, this is being addressed and we've, we've started to, to do it with our soccer teams. Uh, a lot of professional clubs in England now are having two teams within a year the first six months and the second six months in terms of their birth. And they're finding the development and the development of the athletes in the environment most conducive for them to succeed, right? Because that's what we want to do. We don't want to put them at the risk of being injured, but we also want them to succeed and not being able to physically compete against someone because of the date of your birth is definitely a factor that's becoming increasingly uh, considered one in youth sports. Um, you know, there are players that have been asked for dispensation to stay back a year or to go forward a year. But I think we have to be very careful when we would talk about kids and their physical development. You know, the, the incidence of traumatic injury in certain areas, you know, females, ACLs and males groins and baseball players, the, the, the Tommy John surgeries that are happening now at such young ages are partially to do with the imbalance in terms of the physical maturity of the athletes on the same field. So I think that's a major concern. And I think it's, it goes back a little bit to fear of parents missing out kind of thing of, oh, why should my son be playing on this younger, less developed team? Or where's the right place to place him as opposed to the most prominent team they can put him on, which may not serve him best in terms of his physical or social or emotional maturity. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I was thinking about when you were talking about Tiger Woods and you were talking about, you know, granted the guy's been successful, but he's he's dealt with a lot of things. You know, I think a lot of people look at, you know, that early specialization model and they're like, look at how, look at how much he did. Look at what he achieved. But at the same time, look what he missed. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, I, yeah. I, I think that's the he thing that people childhood. don't understand is yeah. he, 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 yeah, he, he grew up 
I mean, look, how many, I mean, I know we're, we're talking about sports versus child stars, but that guy grew up in front of America and everything that he did, every decision he made good or bad was scrutinized. And it's hard to grow up in front of uh, the world. It happens in, you know, you know, young like celebrities and stuff like that too, because they, a lot of the times they just end up being completely screwed up um, mm -hmm. because, because of, you know, that there's their scenario and their environment. So I think that's a big thing we need to, to consider. And you know what the hard part is? And, and this is something that I, I struggle with too, and, and I know better, but I, it doesn't mean that I'm immune is that sometimes it's, it's tough because you want kids to play sports and not, not just our own kids, but we want to see kids active but some kids just, they just, you can't find a way to do it in a positive fashion for whatever reason. And have you found any good tips or any good strategies to continue to encourage kids to be a little bit more active and be a little bit more positive, you know, and, and be a little bit more sort of integrated in sports, but make it a positive experience because some kids have never had a positive experience ever in sport. And that's one of the reasons maybe they never played. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you make a great point there. And you do, you do, you see young people, you see it in the show business industry, right? You see it in all kinds of walks of life, missing out on childhood and the development, missing out on the expectation of not being an expert, right? Missing out on the expectation when you're in that arena, you have to be at this level. It's, it, it's an, it's an untold problem that so many kids suffer from the expectation that them performing at a higher level than they're capable of. Um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of nurturing a child's potential involvement in the sport, so we obviously we're in organized team sports, and we all know that organized team sports, seventy percent supposedly at the age of thirteen, are quitting those organized team sports. That's not actually a truly reflective figure. What the Project Play most recent State of Play report discovered was a lot of these athletes are actually dropping from the level of competition but going to a more local level of competition and sticking with the same sport. So these athletes that have been pushed up to the elite levels of, like, let's use soccer because it's probably the worst example there is. There's so many different leagues that are all the best league in the country and it's just absolute nonsense. Um, and these kids that move up to be the 17th or 18th player on a team because that's the team to be on, what's that going to do? It's going to kill your passion. So it's not only the fact that some of the kids never got into the right sport, even in the right sport, they'd be put in the wrong spot. Um, yeah. Variety is the key, though, Mike. To be honest with you, I'll go back to what I said earlier about sharing power. How many parents actually talk to their kids about the sport and if they're enjoying the sport? How many kids then come up with an alternative sport or activity? You know, something that will get them vested in something that will lead them to being active. I'm active now. I'm an athlete because I walk. I literally move my legs one in front of the other. And if that's the activity that I like going out and walking on the fells and walking in the mountains, that's fine. But I think parents really do have to embrace the fact that they should empower their kids to make the decision about the sport they become involved in. Now, that's not to say, hey, I've got a kid in the sport. He wants to quit mid-season. That, that's just not acceptable to me, right? That's, that's a commitment you've made. But at the end of that season, I'm not going to have that kid go back and do anything else unless they want to do that. But I'm going to insist that there's some activity that they're doing. One of my daughters, I have quite a few daughters, one of my daughters went into um, acting and enjoyed that and got a lot out of it. Um, but I do think sports is very, very difficult for kids because they're put under a microscope when they're on that field. And the expectations very often about uh, adults 
their own parents, the opposing team's parents, the coaches. It just makes it a not fun activity. Um, I would say variety. Honestly, I would, Mike, ask them the opinion. What is it they want to do? If they don't want to do that activity, can we find another one? There's been a huge growth, as you probably are aware, of these individual sports now. Kids who are playing sports that it has increased things like golf, things like tennis. You know, they're all obviously great sports. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's a puzzle that we can solve if it's addressed properly by parents and we listen to the young people uh, about what it is they want to do. Yeah. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. So uh, your tips for parents, one of the things that, that always stuck out to me, um, mm-hmm. you know, from when we first met and we're on that panel, talking about that, that famous car ride home after mm-hmm. the game and some of your tips with that, because I, I started to reflect and say, did, how bad was I? And I'm sure there were certain days that, that I was a bear and, and didn't do it right. But I, I always try to keep in the back of my mind, like two things that one is that, um, you know, especially my kids are baseball players. So the sport is really hard. It's a game of mistakes and it's, mm-hmm. it's really, and no one wants to strike out. No one wants to ground out to the shortstop. So I'd really try to make a point to like, I'm not going to pick on anybody for that. Or, or get on anybody because of, you know, a ball went between their legs. Those are just physical mistakes. The only thing that I really, you know, would, would definitely get on, on my boys about was if there was a lack of effort there that I thought if they left their, they didn't bring their best to the, to the game. And so that was impactful, but you took it a step further and you said, there's only a, a couple words you should really be saying on that car ride home. So talk about that, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just before I get into those details, you know, I had the good fortune recently to be uh, in a conversation, a few people uh, named Nomar Garcia Parra. I always mispronounce his name, but he was part of this group and it was out in, in uh, California because we have groups out there. And, you know, he told me this story and I, I thought this was brilliant, right? So kid on the field makes a mistake. Do they look at the coach? Or who's the first person they look to? It's the parent, right? So you as the parent, you're the person, your kid's going to look at you first. Your facial expression, your physical expression, whatever you may or may not be doing at that time is going to send a message to your child who knows you very well. So when my daughter looked at me and I'm sitting on the sidelines and she'd made a mistake and I'm going, her heart sunk, (laughs) just sunk. It didn't care if the coach is saying, it's okay, Caitlin, you'll get it. If I'm sitting there like this, or if I'm, the message is delivered. So Neymar had delivered, his daughter was playing softball uh, he wasn't coaching. Uh, he used to sit in the, in the stands and he said he came up with this great thing. Um, he knew she would look at him and she made a mistake. I think she was playing first base, missed the ball, whatever it is. The sign he had for his daughter, every time she looked at him, he would just go, Superman. Apparently she was just Superman crazy. So that was it. She looked at him. This was the sign. Success or failure, didn't matter. On with the game, Right. And so parents can come up with these really corny things, right? So I was lucky by the time I had my third one playing, I'd actually come up with, uh, it was just the old, you know, brush it off, you know, Rihanna would look at me and I'd just be like, and she'd be like, and I'm really good to go. Come up with this little ritual with your kid. God, you will be shocked at how impactful it is for them and 
how stress releasing it is for you because you don't have to be the parent sitting in the stands thinking, oh, that's a reflection of me and a load of rubbish that we think from time to time. So I thought that was a great story. And that's just a really practical tip that I think any parent can, can do. The car ride home, right? So we had, again, the look, Julie Foudy's on our board of advisors and she recorded a podcast for us about the car ride home, which she called the Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition. Door opens, kid gets in, door closes. What? the heck was that today what did you uh, but, right so we have a rule that we tell every parent that every time we get to meet them there are five words that you can say to your kid after you've watched them play i loved watching you play amen and and everybody nods like mike is right there and then i see the one or two parents at the back going Rrr. i say now in that instance, and I've had this with one of my own daughters, where the effort wasn't there. She just wasn't giving her best effort. I know she wasn't. I didn't know why, but I knew she wasn't. So you can't say those five words. Don't say anything. And they will, I'll guarantee they will, either that day, that night, or the following day, come to you and say that I, did, I really didn't play that well, you know. Uh, what do you think? And they'll have a conversation with you and they'll initiate it and they'll want your support. They unconditionally love you. You unconditionally love them. They want to talk to you about it, but they want to do so in their own time. So my final tip, every parent out there also do one other thing. Buy yourself one of those lollipops. You are going to sellotape that to your car, the, just beside your steering wheel. And when that daughter or son gets in the car and you want to give them the inquisition, Stick that lollipop, don't even have to take the wrapper off it, right in your mouth and just chew on it for a little bit. Or if you're really <laughs> allergic to it, just have it there so you can see it. So, you know, you're supposed to put something in your mouth so you don't say anything stupid. Like I have. One of my daughters didn't speak to me for nearly two weeks. Um, and, and essentially, they want our opinion. They want our support, but they want it when they're ready to hear it. So say those five words if you can. If you know they've given their best and they've lost by 10 goals, 20 runs. If you know you've given the best, say those five words. If you can't do that, don't say anything. They'll come to you and they'll want to do that. And come up with your own little corny thing. Amazingly, it works. It worked right through high school with Rhiannon. It really did. So uh, that would be my practical tips, I think. And I don't yeah. know if you if you experience this, Steve, but it generally seems to me, and as, as someone who's been uh, coaching, who's been training, and then I, I, as a dad, is that sometimes the ones who are the most difficult in dealing with that and, and not doing what you're saying are the ones who have no sports experience. Um, yeah. You know, you know, I would have this, you know, I have discussions with my kids and they say like, man, I, I feel bad for so-and-so because his dad is just going to be all over him because I know he made an error. He struck out two times or he, he you know, he'd be barking from the, from the, from the, um, you know, from the bleachers. And I would say, you know, I'd say to him, you know what those are, son? Those are the words of a man who never wore a pair of cleats in his life, right? Yeah. That's someone who can't understand that this is hard. It's no one's going out there trying to, to strike out or fumble there. It's, it's not easy doing what they're doing. And unless you've done it yourself, um, it's, it's very tough to, to have any level of empathy for it. Yeah. Yes, I absolutely agree. Um, at Steel Sports, we recently created a module for our parents, positive sports uh, Positive sports parenting, yes. Um, and I think you've got to be very careful with this in the youth sports world. When you start to talk about parent education, I think you're in dangerous territory. 
So, you know, I'm going to educate you as a parent. Who the hell are you to educate me as a parent? But when you talk about parent engagement and just laying out exactly what it is we can do together, because the, the parent athlete coach triangle is the singular biggest influence on whether or not the kid has a positive experience or not in sports. And you're right, some parents live vicariously through their child, which is very, very difficult to address because that parent during the activity is emotional, right? So that is often not the time to address the particular issue you may have. Another thing we do at Steel Sports is all of our post-game meetings are inclusive of parents and player. So whatever the summary of the game is, the parents are standing behind the players while the coach says, hey, we did great today. And, you know, we lost the game 3-2, but we worked on these three things. And these three areas were covered well. We also tell our coaches this is a really good time to highlight positive parental behavior, such as, Mike, you played a great game today. You know, you collected the ball, you put it on the ground, you did what we asked you to do. You didn't just boot the ball down the field. And as you're talking to Michael and glancing at Michael's father, who's screaming at him to boot the ball down the field, a subtle message can be delivered. In the same way as you can recognize a parent who perhaps has recognized a good play of kids other than their own child. So we try and reinforce behaviors that will help the parents enjoy the experience, the kid enjoy the experience. Um, the other thing that we have to deal with, though, and we've come across this most lately, uh, I would say post-pandemic, you know, you know, the family dynamic has changed. There, there's a lot of blended families and there's a lot of single families, divorced parents, whatever. And some of the parents that we're finding have been becoming a problem or an issue are those that may be the weekend fathers. And this might be the only time they're with their kid. And whether it's a feeling of needing to be overprotective or overzealous in their support because they're not getting as much time with their individual child, we're not sure. But it's another element that's come into play recently that we see them either being very vociferous with their own child or the officials, um, which is another huge problem, obviously, in sports. But, but, but I would agree, sorry, went on a little bit there. I would agree with your first point, Eric. I think a lot of the problem becomes from parents who did not have any experience of sports as a youngster. So you, you mentioned kids in, in situations, family situations being different mm. after the pandemic. And, and there's mm. definitely, you know, statistics showing rises in depression and social detachment and so forth. But could youth sports possibly be a remedy for some of those things if it's done right? So 100%, 100%. There's a couple of, <laughs> I don't mean to offend anybody here, but there's a couple of good things that came out of COVID-19, right? One was, I think there's been a redress a balance of, of parents. I think the indication since COVID of more athletes going back to local programs is a direct result of parents and families having more time together during COVID when youth sports basically ground to a halt and them thinking, do we really need to be on a team that travels three states to play a game on a Sunday when we've got a program in town that plays our neighbours? You know, and why are we really in sports? It's caused a reflection by parents on what their kids should be getting out of sports. And I think more parents now are aware that the life lessons are as, if not more important than the actual athletic success they have. So COVID has addressed that to me, uh, in my opinion, uh, a little bit. But um, I also think we have to be very careful. There were mental issues existing before COVID for the younger population. You know, all of the devices they have access to, the things that they feel they have to be perfect in every way. I have a lot of daughters and, you know, there's a lot of issues 
with raising a young woman in this country in terms of their own feelings of being appropriate, being successful, being good enough, whatever it might be in the mass media. We, we created, actually, uh, Eric, we created two mental resilience modules during COVID because we couldn't work hands hands on hand with our co uh, with our athletes we created a library of about 27 28 modules that kids could access some about our club our core values some about how to dribble a ball you know how to do a session on your own kind of thing and then i felt it was necessary to create two mental resilience modules over the course of COVID, that module was never assigned to an athlete. We just sent out an email saying, hey, this is available. To date, 852 of our athletes have completed that module completely of their own volition. 852 athletes between the ages of 12 and 17 have said to us, I need help. I need help because I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. And this mental resilience course was completed by far more than any other course that we put out there. So now as coaches, adults, parents, we have to accept our kids. I don't wanna say it's in crisis, but I do think it's a growing issue that's not going away anytime soon. I think sport could be tremendous for this. When I went back and started watching our teams practice, watching the level of cooperative play that they were incapable of doing, the level of communication, that had gone backwards, it was palpable. You could see these kids couldn't interact the way they had pre-COVID. What I also noticed was our coaches were suffering in the same way. Their skills hadn't diffused, but some of their communication skills and some of their cooperative skills within their peer groups had gone. So yes, it's more pronounced with kids, but I think it's a wider spread problem. I think sports is a definitely an avenue where we can help these kids learn about cooperative play, learn about competition again, learn about how to communicate with one another, learn about how to put those frigging phones and iPads down and actually have a face-to-face -face conversation. I think sports can play a huge part in it. I am convinced that we can change the world and we can change it with kids and we can change it through youth sports. Um, and I think I'm in a privileged position of having someone who will back me and, and I can do these things that not all organizations can because we have access to people like Angela Duckworth, who wrote Grit. She collaborates with us. We have access to a gentleman called Peter Mindell, who's the chair of leadership and character development at West Point. We design programs for our kids to take off the field, but we can all provide that support, but it has to be intentional. We can't assume that kids are going to get this from youth sports unless our coaches are trained to recognize moments when it happens. And a big part of it, have kids reflect upon it. I don't know about you, but I'm a guy and I didn't learn how to reflect properly until I was about 47. Right. I just thought I made a mistake. I'll get it better next time. But I wouldn't think about the mistake. We we have to do a better job of training coaches of all levels, even the volunteer coaches, to recognize these moments when kids are struggling, including mental health and how and what can they do to help them with that? You know, we, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but with club and travel and, and single sport uh, specialization, it, it's tough. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made. And, and we kind of know that it's debatable as whether or not these things are actually producing better athletes or not. Um, how much of this do you think is just purely based off of money and it's a money grab for these clubs to go out there and they promise kids, you know, uh, recruiting and scholarships, but look, I I've seen it firsthand. The highest teams 
they get all of the resources, the lowest teams, it's a paycheck. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that something, is that something that you see? And like, I mean, is that, how do we prevent that? Or is it just how it's going to be? We know the pay to play model is here yeah. to stay. And I mean, when I, when I was growing up, right. If you played in club, I, I grew up playing soccer, you know, yeah. and I played club and you didn't have to pay. It was, if you were good, they'd find a way to get you on a team and you would play against the best kids. And now it's like, well, you, anybody can play club if you have an extra three or four grand a year. Yeah. And you're exactly right. There's a lot of clubs that use the model of, Hey, come and play for this club and this name will get you into a college right um and by the way you're not going to be in our top team so you're going to pay an awful lot of money because you're going to subsidize the top teams who are going to be traveling all over to increase that name that you're playing for and the, and that name in the perception of uh, of people um i do think parents are becoming a little bit more savvy uh, and it's not going away you're absolutely right mike uh, the american model unfortunately is pay to play because any club is going to have to pay for facilities. Any club is going to have to pay league fees, registration fees, and all these other things. What has become is the profit margins for certain clubs are just like through the roof. And we hear about this. We we hear about how much coaches are being paid now just do one team for a season. And it's incredible the money that can be made. I can only say this to a parent. If you're going to a club, make sure you understand clearly what their mission and what their philosophy and what their coaching model is is it a kid's first philosophy is it to develop your kid as an athlete and a person is it to develop your kid to be one of those and again we've got the numbers 95 percent of forbes 500 ceos played sport so sport can play a part in your child's life that will lead to success off the field if your coaches are not all 100 percent focused on winning because the brand name has to be the best so are you paying three and a half thousand to win every game because if you are you're being fleeced because soccer <laughs> you play mike right soccer you can have the team at the bottom of your league beat the team at the top of your league on any given day based on circumstances that are out of your control so why are you putting your kid in sports if you're buying the bs that you're going to have a scholarship at the end of it then you really need to do some research yourself because that's simply not true. It's not even debatable. It's just not true. Look at the numbers. If you're putting your kid in sports to learn really meaningful life lessons and be a better athlete, make sure the club you're putting them in addresses both of their things in their philosophy and their actual teaching and coaching of staff. So get your money's worth. If you're going to have your kid play the piano, you're not going to ask somebody that can't play it and isn't going to focus on them in the holistic way to teach them how to do it. It's the same thing in sports. There's a lot to be gained from it. It's always going to be pay to play. Don't be charged exorbitant fees by clubs that are promising you things they can't deliver. And I just can't believe that people keep doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you talk about lacrosse, right? The travel for tournaments now, if your kids are playing lacrosse, oh my goodness gracious me, number of oh, kids yeah. on the tournament. And yeah, huge, probably one of the biggest growing sports, team sports in the country right now. Yeah. Um, but parents, please. East Coast. Yeah. Yeah, East Coast. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's taken off in the West Coast as well. We, you know, we have bases uh, out in California, and you're seeing kids walking around with sticks now instead of uh, surfboards and stuff out there. So yeah, taking off everywhere. But parents, I would just make the plea: parents, do your homework, see what you're paying. Are you happy paying for this, knowing the chances of a scholarship at the end of it, regardless of what they're telling you, are very slim? 
but is your kid going to have that experience of really learning the life lessons because coaches are taught how to include that in what they're doing? That would be my advice. Now, you've, you've no. mentioned some some great books along the way. Another one that I'll throw uh, throw out there is is for any sports parent is to check out the book Playing to Win by Michael Lewis. Um, mm. he, he wrote The Blind Side and, and a couple other great books. And he talks about the youth sports industrial complex. And he takes, you know, he does his, obviously his diligence and research, but he also talks to you through his eyes as a dad with two girls playing softball and realizing as his one finally makes it to get to that college level and how much they sacrifice and kind of reflecting, as you said, was it worth it? And then looking back and saying, okay, well, if I would have invested that same money in uh, academic tutors, there's mm-hmm. far more money available academically than there is athletically. Um, and so like, it kind of makes you reflect that, that this is all kind of this, this pipe dream. And it's much cooler, obviously, to, to see your son's or daughter's picture name in the paper because they made the all county team or something like that, as opposed to, you know, the, the honor roll, but ultimately academics, there's way more opportunities, but we don't kind of pursue that because it's not quite as sexy. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've, we've had some great stories, you know, at steel sports and we've had some kids that have repeated what you just said. They've gone to division one colleges and quit because they were said it's my life. This is a job. It's like year round. It doesn't even matter if it's the soccer season's only the fall year round. I'm required to do this. I can't do that and everything else. Um, so the pressure is absolutely inordinate. It is a job. And we're seeing that now where some college kids are now getting paid more to actually go with the NIL rights and everything else to go and play at college than they would get from the major league baseball contract they can sign. We, uh, Jerry Royster, who's on our board, just had a kid graduate. He had him out of high school and he's gone to college and he's going to earn more at college than he would have if he'd signed his uh, offer from the Dodgers. So it's, it's just incredible what's going on now. It's been recognized as a full-time job. Um, but yeah, I do, I do think parents just need to open their eyes and just need to really be very aware of what they're getting into. The investment, if it, that's what it's about, is not a wise investment. If you're investing that 20000 <laughs> or whatever it is to, to get your kid that scholarship, it's not, it's not money well spent. But if you're investing it in their future by giving them the life skills because the coaches and the organization are truly about holistic development, I, I think you can get your money's worth if, if that's what you're honestly looking for. Now, you mentioned the triad earlier of the coach, the parent, the athlete, yeah. there, there's a, there's an outlier out there that you, you alluded to earlier. That is it's always got the bullseye in their back. They're never really the hero. And because of that, well, one of there's many reasons uh, because of that officials um, referees are, are at a huge shortage. And this is across all sports, really being able to find umpires and officials and referees. And, you know, I had some interesting conversation with friends of mine who are umpires and they said, some of it is, is the parents, which I want to get to and talk to you about and, and what they have to deal with. And, but some of it is just because of this unbelievable demand, because there's so many travel leagues and so many tournaments and so, that they just can't keep up. There's just not enough stock of, of people to keep, to, to, to keep up with this. And so um, it's a huge challenge. And because it's a huge challenge, you have a, a, a thinner pack to pick from. And now you end up at the game and you have some high school kid who's getting and you're going to eviscerate this poor kid for a part-time job because they called your son out or or they called a pitch that was three inches outside. And now it's, you know, I've been at games, Steve, where the police have been called to the game 
Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, yep. it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And I, the first thing I said, you know, to the, to the kids is I brought them in. I said, listen, everything that's going on around here, I need you to shut that off. None of that is about you. This is about adults who can't be adults. And I said, the only thing that you're going to really learn today is hopefully you remember this. So you don't do this when you're an adult. Yep. <laughs> yep. So we've, we've, we've partnered with a group called officially human. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. But if you haven't, go to their website. The stats are these, staggeringly. 80% of officials quit within two years of starting. 80%. The average age of officials at the moment is 54, I believe. There's no math that needs to be done here. You know, we are going to run out of officials, which is going to lead to an absolutely horrendous situation, which is this. Coaches are going to have to umpire or referee their own games. Worse still, we're going to have to get parent volunteers to do it. And this is all to do with the inordinate amount of pressure that they've been put on there. The vast majority of people that go into officiating youth sports did it because they had a great experience as a youth athlete and they want to give back to the game. And after spending a weekend on a field and having adults harangue you, and sometimes it's the coaches as well as the parents, you know, 40 bucks, I ain't going to cut it for me to be abused for an hour and a half. That just isn't going to be worth my while. I'll go and find another thing to do. But I, officially human, I would, I would strongly recommend. They've got a couple of great videos. They've got a couple of great things. Um, I think there's pressure on officials to be perfect. And the truth of the matter is, I once had an official say to me, um, and it was because my parents, I'd give them a hard time. You know, if if they looked at their own kids or, or even you, coach, how many mistakes you make in a game? I bet you it would be more than I have so far. And I'm like, you're absolutely right, right? Um, it just, it does not make sense, the pressure that we put them under. But the biggest scaring thing for me is if we get to the situation of not having the officials that we need, which is happening at high school level, you're absolutely right, as well as youth sports and collegiate level, the games themselves are going to suffer and who then suffers it's the participants and that's our young athletes and they'll be driven away from the game again. I don't know if you saw this, there's, it's actually, I think it's actually in, in South Jersey where there was uh, one youth organization. I thought it was brilliant that if you uh, get cited as a parent for creating a problem with an umpire, they actually, what your penalty is, is you have to now umpire a game. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. brilliant. Now you get to see it through their eyes and then yeah. you just wait when that bang, bang play, you call the wrong way, um, yeah. you know, goes against you and you get the, 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 the pack from the bleachers all over you. So I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. So we we've covered a lot yeah, of ground. So I, um, I want to give some resources for, for the parent, for the, for the coach, for, for, or someone who's involved in some sort of youth organization, like, how does how do they change their culture? How do they leverage something like steel sports and in in kind of do it the right way? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, the challenge, Eric, is time and resources. Right now, so in terms of transparency, I will say that steel sports is a part of a much bigger entity called Steel Partners, and they have a portfolio of businesses around the world. Um, very successful. The man in charge is Warren Lichtenstein. He's a billionaire. He has decided he wants his legacy to be changing the world by affecting kids through sports. 
So we get access to resources a lot of people don't. So I don't want people to aspire to do what we're able to do because of the contacts, connections, financial support and resources we, and resources we have. But any organization, any organization or parent can come up with a very, very clear picture of what they want to achieve and what they want to get out of any activity. Like sit down and talk about when you're going to put your kid into a program, why are you putting them in it? And again, if your first two or three answers are anything to do with scholarships, scrap it, do something else. But if it was really about you want your child to develop as a human, as someone who will be a better person, as someone who will learn life skills that they can employ off the field, then you will have a clear path of what it is you want to choose. And then you can come up with the questions you should ask any organization you're going to become involved with. So come up with that, just like you would when if you were looking at a private school, why do you put them in that school? Is it the ethos, the culture, their core values? If you're an organization, this can be done. You can get together as a group and decide upon the non-negotiables you want as an organization. We're going to have these following three, four, five core values. And they're going to be good enough that they can apply to everything we do as an organization, on and off the field, organizationally, in terms of competition, level of competition, how we select our teams, how we commit to our players. You can do that. And then you can have a framework which will clearly indicate to anybody who joins you who you are and what you're about. With steel sports, our most simple definition is kids first. Anybody that joins us has to understand if you as a parent, Eric, are coming to me to join steel sports, I'm going to tell you, well, we're going to put kids first. That means before the ego of a coach, before the outcome of a game, before your sometimes unrealistic aspirations, we're going to put your kid first. If you're not comfortable with that, we're not the organization for you. The second part of kids first to us is you and us have to always remember they are kids first. Well, what does that mean? Well, why do they play sports? They play sports to have fun, to get better. They play sports because winning is like ninth or 10th on there. So if winning is one or two for you, you're not in sync with your kid. We're probably not the organization for you. Kids will make mistakes. If they make a mistake at home or school, you forgive them. Do the same on a field. Mistakes are the first step towards mastery. What we want to develop is Socratic thinkers, problem solvers. Put a kid on a sports field, they've got a million problems to solve. Let them solve the problem. Let them learn the process of problem solving from sport. Let them apply that to life. So everything we do at Kids Sports, I could say at any time, kids first. And these are the two things that means. And if you're not on board with that, then we're probably not the organization for you. And any organization you should join, you should clearly know what is their priority. What is their ethos? What is their philosophy? What are their core values? If they don't have them, you're going to be lucky or unlucky. And it just depends on the individual coach you get. As a parent, know what you want to get out of the experience. Know what you want your child to get out of the experience because you've had the conversation with them and shared power and you know what they want to get out of it. And you've got much better chance of having long-term success because of that. Spectacular stuff. So, so Mike, anything you want to throw in there before we wrap it up? No, I, I, um, honestly, I'm eating this up right now. I'm taking notes and, uh, you know, everything that you're talking about, I'm, I'm, I am on board hundred percent. And it's just, it's just crazy to me that this is where it's going, but it, it's, here's what it boils down to. It's going to happen. It's going in this direction and there's nothing that we can do. 
as far as changing that. So what can we do? We can change the way that we react and the change that we change the way that we educate and the change the way that we communicate. And I think that's something that we need to uh, really understand because, you know, it's just kind of like death and taxes. It's going to happen, <laughs> but yeah. it's how we react to it. Right. So uh, honestly, this was, this was phenomenal. And I just want to say, you know, Steve, thank you for sharing. Um, I can't wait to, you know, check out your site a little bit more and, and look at some of the resources that you guys put out. So I, I just want to say thank you because uh, um, this is, this is my wheelhouse. This is where I live. And this was awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go one step further if I may, Mike, I'll, uh, I'll invite you to look at some of our resources on our learning platform that we give to all of our coaches. And I would love, love and it. Eric, I'll do the same with you. And I'd love feedback from you both about, Hey, these resources are great. Hey, do you ever think of doing this? Because uh, just, like always, right? We're always looking to steal ideas from each other. I love that idea that was mentioned about parents having to umpire. Yeah, go on, get out there. Give them the whistle. Um, <laughs> so we always want to share that. And I do believe, Mike, we'll get to a better place. I really do. I really do. And I think we've got the facts to back up the statements about what is actually the best practices. And we need to let parents see those. You can't make them make the right choice, but you can certainly educate them as you said about what the best choice would be but hey thank you for your time really appreciate it and uh, we'll be in touch oh, this is spectacular so want to thank you uh steven before we wrap up i know this thing is a moving target right and every year we have to do uh things we have to 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 deal with and and, and uh learn about how to how to best handle this so tell us in 2023 what you and steel sports have have kind of on the radar well Again, <laughs> we're very lucky. So we, through our Steel Partners partnership, a couple of the initiatives that we've started actually at the end of this year and will be continuing, we are now giving, there's 4,500 employees of Steel Partners around the country um, and they are giving paid time off and a $1,000 sponsorship for any team they coach in their community. So I, we are literally paying employees to take part in the community do our foundations of positive coaching and we've given away a hundred thousand dollars so far to individual coaches who um you know coach their town soccer team and they get a one thousand dollar sponsorship from us to use for whatever it might need you know fields uniforms whatever and they're given flex time so that they can have the time to go and do that and i think that's that's impacting now about three and a half thousand kids in communities across the country um, the second thing that we're very proud of, I'm very proud of, if we've started a roadshow tour in the summer. So we're running 13 camps around the United States of America. They're completely sponsored by the business unit in those particular areas. So our first one, actually, we conducted one in Mexico. Um, 62 kids were given the opportunity to attend a camp for four days. And our businesses down there, Casco and MTE, sponsored it. So no kid had to pay. Every kid that came to the camp got it as a free experience. Uh, we're doing 13 of those around the country in the Carolinas, uh, Delaware, Wisconsin, Illinois, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, um, Philadelphia, um, and all of these camps to afford the opportunities to families that might other not otherwise be able to attend a camp. So it's a payback. It's it's really exciting. We think it's it's great that Warren has really pushed all of the business units and challenged them and has included as part of their mission, regardless of what their industry is, whether it's Aerojet Rocket Dime, which is a company we're involved with, to put kids first and try and have a positive influence on the next generation of leaders. So I'm really proud about those two initiatives. And I think uh, we're trying to do our little bit. And if enough people step up and do it, the access to opportunities for sports will be increased incredibly 
uh, for people that are living in underserved communities. That is awesome stuff and, and so needed. And I applaud your work with that. And we were definitely going to put all these, uh, some links in, in the show notes so you can check it out and, and, and uh, get more info. But, but thank you again for your time, Steve. And want to thank everyone out there for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance podcast. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.